Welcome to the Three Course Politics Podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Hill. And we are so excited to have you here for episode number seven. Big episode, Hilsey. Big episode. Number seven. This is like uh, the seventh season of Game of Thrones when they had seven episodes. So. <laughs> well, hopefully we won't uh, disappoint some of our, of our fans with this podcast. We are great writers, so we're not. <laughs> uh, well, today we have a lot on our plate. We're going to talk about uh, the debates for a little bit in your appetizer. We're going to move to impeachment uh, with the entree, which is a big topic of discussion right now. And we'll end with uh, the Dems' chances in the Senate and a little uh, Women's World Cup. Sounds like a pretty sweet dessert to me. Yeah, one of those things maybe more, more sweeter than the other, but we'll, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll find I I don't think the debates are going to be that sweet, but the Women's World Cup is... So- so far, it's been going very well. So, <laughs> yeah, um, Hills- that sounds like a great episode yeah. today. Um, and thank you all for for sticking with us and and listening um, as we make more and more episodes. More and more, more coming, absolutely. So, um, Hills, you want to give them the pre dinner shot? Uh, here is your question. Today, you have a two-part question. So the main, the main part of this question, when was the first televised primary debate? Again, when was the first televised primary debate? And for extra credit, for those of you who would like to do a little bit more, when was the first televised debate? Now, be very careful with this question. It might seem straightforward, but it isn't. Um, so the first part of the question is, when was the first televised primary debate? extra credit is when was the first televised presidential debate man that is a tough question tough one but for those of you uh who are smart it um might not be as easy as you think and for those of you that are dumb you'll never get it so (laughs) you're never going to get it but good news for you is we're going to give it to you at the end of the episode (laughs) excellent all right let's move on to the appetizer All right, your appetizer today is going to be a fun one. We're going to be talking about the Democratic uh, primary debates coming up on June 26th and 27th. That is Tuesday and Wednesday of this upcoming week. And one of us will unfortunately be in Norway for that. So that's going to suck. Uh, but for fortunate for him, he is going to be watching the debates uh, on European time, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'll be up at 3 a.m. watching, so. <laughs> uh, it's it's all worth it, Josh. It is so worth it. You're thinking maybe my morning. Um, no, you have to watch it in real time. That's the only way to do it. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to be behind on Twitter, so. <laughs> maybe there'll be other Americans in, in Norway that will be watching it. Maybe two the two other Americans. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, but that's a lot to hope for. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so let's get into it. So uh, the debates are June 26th and 27th. Um, So we have a bunch of different candidates on each night. And what the Democrats tried to do was kind of split them up. So um, so folks 
are all like the, the front runners are not all together. And um, they kind of did that and kind of didn't. I mean, so the first night of the debate, the big people on stage are Elizabeth Warren um, and Beto O'Rourke. So um, they are like the, the biggest ones on the stage. But oh, I was going to say, um, can we go through and find out what candidates are on each night? A small okay, correction. Perfect. It's on Wednesday and Thursday, not Tuesday and Wednesday. It's Wednesday the 26th oh, again, and Thursday the 27th. Misleading everybody again. <laughs> so on Wednesday, you've got Cory Booker. You've got Elizabeth Warren. You have Beto O'Rourke. You have Amy Klobuchar. You have John Delaney. You have Tulsi Gabbard. You have Julian Castro. You have Tim Ryan. You have Bill de Blasio. And you've got Jay Inslee. Those are the people who are on for the first uh, night on Wednesday. And like Hill said, the big names are probably going to be Warren and Beto O'Rourke. Maybe Cory Booker, maybe Klobuchar, but really it's going to be Warren and O'Rourke. Yeah, and oh, go ahead. ahead. Oh, yeah, and the second lineup uh, on Thursday is this the the big one, the big kahuna. You've got Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris – Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, Michael Bennett, Marianne Williamson, Eric Swalwell, Kirsten Gillibrand, Andrew Yang, and John Hickenlooper. It's a strong second night. It really is. And I know, Hills, that you will be watching on bated breath for what John Hickenlooper decides to say. Yeah. John Hickenlooper, I don't know, (laughs) man. Um, What happened to him? I thought he was uh, more progressive than he was, but... Um, and NBC News is moderating this debate. Um, they're going to have Lester Holt, Savannah Guthrie, Chuck Todd, and um, Rachel Maddow, and Telemundo, Telemundo's uh, Jose diaz Um They're all going to be moderating. So um, it's a pretty pretty good moderator. Yeah, they got a lot of strong moderators on there. So um, quick mentioning of those who did not make the debate stage. Uh, you have Mike Ravel. Did not make it. Uh, you got Steve Bullock, who didn't make it. And he's the surprising one, I think. As a governor of Montana, a red state that had Trump won by 20 points, it's a little odd that he didn't make it. But he got into the uh, debate or the, the presidential race pretty late. Um, and the last one is the he's a mayor of Florida. What's his name, Hills? I can't think of his name. Name is... Wayne something? Wayne... Messam? Yeah, Wayne, Wayne Messam. Is that... Wayne Messam. Okay. Yeah. So those three candidates should probably look to drop out now. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing on Steve Bullock is uh, he's been making a lot of um, news about him being upset about not making the debate. And, you know, he got in really, really late uh, comparatively to everybody else in this race. And yeah, he's a, he's a governor and, and all that, but, I don't know if you have these debate qualifications. Maybe if you really want to be on the stage, you should have started yeah. sooner. I, I I don't feel bad for him because he had all the time to do this and he decided not to. I mean, I'm not nothing against his candidacy, but if if there's already 15 Democrats running and you know you're going to do it, you should really do it. Yeah, I could not agree more. Yeah. So um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about who got the right draw. So there's been a lot of, you know, we just went through the candidates on each night of the debate stage. And obviously, on first glance, Tuesdays has a lot of the heavy hitters. It has a lot of the people who have been up in the polls or who are on the top tier of the polls. So 
some people some people on on reporters or everyone else on Twitter or whatnot were saying that the Thursday night debate, the second night, is really the night you should be paying attention to. But I actually disagree. I think that Warren and Beto didn't get as bad of a hand as everyone says. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, and, and the reason for that is that these are the first debates with all of these candidates. That means everyone's going to be tuning in for both of the debates. I don't think people are going to pick and choose because they. Are, I think Democrats are genuinely curious about all these candidates. And no one is going to be missing the first debate night. No one. No, else. not at all. And, uh, yeah. Um, well, also, I was going to say that um, just because uh, Joe Biden is not up there for the first night does not mean that Cory Booker and Warren and Beto will not still go after him because he's the front runner and you're going to have to start going after Biden. And just because he's not on the stage doesn't mean that they won't talk about him or his strengths or, you know, how he had a tough week. Just like Trump's not going to be on there, but they're still going to talk about Donald Trump. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it gives a lot of these candidates who drew the first night exposure to people who they may tune in for parts of the second night, but if they're going to sit down and watch the first night, there will be people who watch both, like me and Josh. <laughs> <laughs> but there might be other people who tune in for one night and they hear the debates starting and they see Warren on there. And honestly, I think this is really good for Warren and Beto. Yeah. They get center stage. They get the first night. It's not a kiddie debate, um, although it ended up kind of being that way with the way the polling was showing for a lot of these other candidates. But it also gives them gives them more time. It gives them more time because they're the other people the people on the other debate nights are gonna be wanting to fight for their time. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough because the debate in theory will last two hours, but um it can't last much more than that. And you got 10 candidates and just having their opening message is going to take 20, 30 minutes <laughs> just to get each person an opening message. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Opening statements from uh, the next 20 people. <laughs> Everyone goes in a row. Uh, before, I also just want to talk about, because um, this is our pre-debate show, what to look for from each of the candidates. Yeah. Uh, and I can start with sure. Biden. So Biden's going to go on the second night and I think he's going to, he's the front runner in this race. Everyone's the target's going to be on his back. His polling numbers have softened a little bit, but they're still really good. I mean, they've softened because of the attacks and things that have come out against him. And I think that's normal, but he's going to want to show he, this is his opportunity to talk to a lot of people who are going to be watching and maybe skeptical about his candidacy, about his age. And he really needs to show that he's strong he knows policy. He's not going to make incredibly stupid gaffes. Is that he is the candidate that is going to be Donald Trump, and he needs to show it. Yeah, he doesn't have the policies out right now like Elizabeth Warren does, but he needs to show that he's in charge. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, talking about what to look for from for Bernie. Um, so Bernie has an interesting task on his hand. Uh, Bernie has two options. One, he can choose to go after Biden uh, because Bernie is the more progressive one. Medicare for all, um, you know, the top 1%, all of that. Uh, where Biden is not quite there on a lot of that stuff. He, um, so Bernie's more progressive. But I think it's a mistake if he goes after Biden. He needs to be worried about Elizabeth Warren uh, because she is surpassing him or is 
you know, neck and neck with him on a lot of these polls after uh, Bernie had a pretty big lead. So it'd be very interesting to see the tactic that he chooses um, because is he going to fight for the progressives and go after Biden? Is he going to try and draw the distinction between him and Warren? Because Warren's kind of stolen a lot of his thunder. And this kind of leads into Warren's um, point, but I think Warren could have a huge night. Yeah, yeah, this goes directly into it. And for the record, I think Bernie's going to attack Biden. I think that's where he thinks he's going to get the most votes. But I think he's actually really wrong. I think Warren is coming up on his, uh, his, his wing. And Warren has this really good opportunity, as we just said. She's got the first night of the debate, and she's going to be center stage because she's polling the mm-hmm. highest. She needs to have a big first night. She needs to tell people that are maybe Bernie bros or maybe not even bros, but Bernie supporters or Biden supporters that why she is the right person. She needs to have a big night and she needs to move past Bernie and that, yeah, I'm not Bernie Sanders, but here's what I'm offering you. Yeah. And I think that's her strategy. Right. If she has to show them like, you know, what's different, how she can be a mix of kind of Bernie and Biden. Um, a Bernie Biden mix. I think that's that's what Warren is looking for. Um, if yeah. we talk about uh, talk about um, Beto and Pete Buttigieg, who are I think both having a very very similar uh, strategy, although it may change a little bit with um, Pete Buttigieg is his tough week. But both want to go to the stage and basically shine and show why they're there. They want to get people to recognize them, get people to Google them. Although Pete Buttigieg may not want to Google him after this past week. Um, we can talk about that in a, in a second. Uh, but for, for Beto, um, he was this huge candidate who built this huge system in Texas. And he's kind of had his thunder stolen from him by various people. So he needs to show them, you know, why he drew so much attention when he was running in as a senator in Texas. Why people should care about him. And he needs to boost his support into double digits probably he probably needs to be in like a 10 maybe nine percent after this debate you're exactly right that's what they need to do beto needs to prove that he can be on that debate stage and not just that he's you know the texas phenomenon who almost won Buttigieg needs to prove that why people should trust a uh, rust belt mid-city size mayor to be president of the united states they need to shine to, this is their prime time on the national stage and they need to shine and they need to show why they belong there. And Buttigieg just had a pretty tough week. Details of the instance, but um, a white police police officer has shot uh, and killed a black man in, um, in South Bend, Indiana. And it's been putting him on uh, the spot with a lot of folks in South Carolina asking him, um, you know, to talk about the situation. I don't know enough about the details, so I'm not going to go into it, but, this is, you know, the first test of his candidacy is how he responds to this and also how he manages it with just knowing that a large part of the Democratic electorate are African-Americans. So I don't know the details of the instance, instance but he's got a this could be a candidate breaking moment if he doesn't have. Yeah, he actually went home to South Bend and he said uh, he was trying to deal with the situation um, and people who were protesting him said, you know, do black lives matter? And he responded with, of course, black lives matter. Like, well then show us, show us by firing someone, show us by reviewing your police department. Um, and 
to my knowledge, he has not done anything about it. I think he's kind of hoping that this passes, but Hills, you're absolutely right. This is a uh, candid defining debate for people to judge. If he is on the stage and he shrinks, because you know that they're, they're, they're going to ask him about it. Um, if he shrinks from it or if he fails to provide a good answer, um, that could really hurt his candidacy. Yeah, these debates, and this is why all these candidates want to get on the stage, because this could change for better or for worse. It could change their candidacies. Let's talk about the last uh, major candidate, uh, Kamala Harris. Hills, what does Kamala Harris need to do? So Kamala's in a very interesting situation. She's polling higher than uh, than uh, a lot of other candidates, but she's she's not really at 10% yet. And it's concerning there are some polls out in California, and she's in third and maybe almost fourth uh, behind Warren, Bernie, and Biden. So what she needs to do is she needs to, she has to be a youthful face of this progressive moderate wing where um, people who Maybe Bernie and Warren are too liberal for them, but Biden's a little too conservative for them and old. She can really present that. She can take up that space and she needs to, you know, show that she used her prosecutor uh, knowledge and her attorney general knowledge to be tough on Trump, gain some name recognition, and also show that um, she has these moderate slash progressive policies um, and she's charismatic, that people can get behind that maybe the other this or that of the other uh, front runners are not for them. Yeah, it's a good debate for her, I think. Um, when her candidacy, when she announced her, uh, you know, her candidacy was riding high, and they've kind of just been kind of just kind of slowed down a little bit. And it's, it's tough when you've got so many people in the debate, but she's youthful. She's very, very anti-Trump. She was anti-Bill um, Barr, and, she, and she's a really good speaker. And she gives really concise answers. Um, I think it's something to look for. Uh, for those of you that are going to uh, tune in for the debates. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for all the other candidates on the stage, the other, <laughs> <laughs> the other, I don't know how many, how many did he not talk about Josh? Yeah. Uh, 14, 1400. Yeah. They just want to yep. get Googled. Uh, the point of being on the debate stage is having all the eyes on you and having a lot more people know about you and Google you like Andrew Yang, um, Marianne Williamson. You want to, you want to put up a performance that makes people interested in you. That is yeah, important. if you're if you're, I mean, a Williamson or a Yang, just think you're going to be on the stage with maybe Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren or like major major people. So so get your message out there. Find out what your message is. Get it out there and just be strong and just get people to who are watching to be like, you know what? Who is this Andrew Yang person? What what's this Yang gang I've heard so much about? Um, and that's what their their purpose is. I think the best description I can find is I was listening to uh, an NPR politics about with a Christian with Christian Gillibrand. Uh, and she said at this event that she was going to take as many pictures as people wanted, but they had a promise they were going to post them on social media. You're just trying to get your name out there, trying to get your position out there. Some of them may take wild takes because they just want people to Google them and find out like what they're all about. Hey, you want your name out there? <laughs> name out there you want those social media postings and you know what you may even say something outlandish so mm -hmm. people remember you and unfortunately that can happen so i think that's something we need to keep our our eyes peeled for and a lot of these uh a lot of these candidates are older and they're gonna say some of these prefabricated zingers they their campaign thought of and if they don't go well it could honestly be also a breaking moment for their candidacy that people are like 
screw this guy. I don't want that in my candidate. Uh, Hills, I think when you're on the debate stage on Thursday, you're going to propose that presidential elections are th- are decided through a dogfight, right? That's very controversial. Very controversial. Uh, everyone will. <laughs> it's true. Um, I just I want people to remember that they just have to deal. Me. <laughs> oh God. It was so, uh, simple. so simple. Deal me in. Trumped up economics. All the all the one liners. Speaking about Trump, I think we've uh, we've wrapped up this uh, pre-debate um, guidebook, and we have a pretty juicy entree on impeachment. Yeah, coming up. let's get into it. All right, let's talk about impeachment. So for impeachment, we're going to talk about a couple of things. Um, is now the time? What should the Dems do? And the reality of why, unfortunately, it won't happen. By it not happening, I mean Trump being removed from office, not the actual impeachment process. Um, but let's start with, is now the time? So we've got maybe just over a month, or sorry, just over a year, a year and, what, five months or so until uh, the election of 2020. Um so should Democrats impeach now? What's the argument for impeachment? Well, <laughs> there are lots of it. Uh, you've got obstruction of justice. You've got the entire Mueller report. You've got uh, him openly on camera to George Stephanopoulos saying that he would definitely take intel from Russia uh, or from anyone, from Norway, of all, of all people. Um, from every place on the planet. He took it from the guy in the corner. You know, he doesn't care who it is. Yeah, and I mean, you have to, according to Trump, you have to at least look at it. I mean, what if there's something really important in there? Uh, so Trump has openly said that he would take aid. And then he tried to walk it back. And it's like, well, I thought I said I would call the FBI and then look at it. No, either way, Trump is, has been caught on camera now twice, like uh, trying to obstruct justice. Um, and I was watching Meet the Press this morning when Chuck Todd had his interview with Trump. Um, and it seems like when he's on television, he is openly okay with trying to lie and trying to just admit things that are crazy. <laughs> um, with Chuck Todd this morning, he was saying how the entire Mueller report talked about collusion and that there was no, there was no collusion. And Chuck Todd was like, no. The Mueller report never mentioned collusion at all. It, it didn't. The word didn't come up, and it never said that you were exonerated. And he's like, "No, that's not true, Chuck. It's exactly what it said." And it's like, "What? <laughs> this is crazy." So the fact that he, so the fact that he openly lies, and the fact that you know you have this Mueller report and all the obstruction charges, you could easily make the claim for impeachment. I think there are also a handful of Democrats, especially in the House, who ran on trying to check him who ran on this idea of you elected us to make sure Trump doesn't overstep. And one of the ways that we do that is by trying to impeach you, at least bringing up the charges because you can bring up charges and then nothing happens. Um, It would also excite the democratic base. There are a number of people, including your two hosts here who desperately want to see Trump impeached. Sign me up. Deal you in. Sign me up. Deal you in. Sign me up and, uh, Signing up in 2017. <laughs> right. Uh, January 1st of 2017. Um, so I don't know if you want to add anything 
on why we should impeach Trump. Yeah, I think the time is the time is now. I think he's committed as he I mean, he committed so many things beforehand, but that he's committed so many um, impeachable offenses already. He definitely has. I mean, whichever way you want to square this, square this, um, this impeachment, it still fits. So he, he has definitely, people have been impeached for much less and much different, um, different circumstances than, than Trump is. And um, I think a lot of the things you said were right. It allows a lot of different documentation to be, uh, to, to come up. It's also, far enough from the election season where people are going to, whether the, the talking point of his base is going to be very against us, it doesn't really matter because they were always going to be against us and they're always going to show up anyway. So it doesn't really matter. And actually could persuade other people um, that when things come out on these in, in proceedings to, to support Democrats. Yeah, I think the other point is, you know, what kind of precedent does it set for the future? If Trump is going to be doing these many horrible things and out in the open and on camera and you don't impeach, then what then what kind of precedent does it set for either the next Democrat or the next re- Republican who takes it one step further? It's you, you have to draw the line somewhere. If you're not going to draw the line when the special prosecutor has said, has left it up to Congress and Trump has told in two on-air interviews that he has obstructed justice once with George Stephanopoulos saying he would take intel from foreign people and one with Lester Holt where he said that he got rid of uh, James Comey because he wanted the whole Russia thing to go away. I mean, if you're not going to do it then. Oh, I remember that. That was the funniest thing. Yeah. Lester Holt was like, um, wait, what did you just say? Did, did, we, did we win? Did we win? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Oh, man. Um, let's try and look at the other side. Okay, so why should we not impeach? And I can really only think of one reason. Uh, And I think this is why it hasn't happened yet, is Democrats, especially Nancy Pelosi, are very, very concerned that if they draw impeachment charges up against Trump, that it will excite his base. It'll be bad for Democrats in 2020 and we'll get another four years of Trump. Um, I mean, if you look at what happened with... uh, Bill Clinton, when he when he was impeached, um, he and the Democrats came back strong in the next year and won very easily. Um, so that's Nancy Pelosi's fear. I think is we have to get this lunatic out. We can get him out by just talking about the issues and not talking about uh, impeachment. She's not. I mean, she, her thinking is not wrong in the sense that she, you know I think those things will happen and. Um, I think those things will happen. The base will, there, the Republican base will be super excited and turn out. I also think she's probably thinking that if this, we can't impeach him, then this is a precedent that we're setting that the other party is just going to do all the time. So that's why I think she's thinking that way. But honestly, I mean, it's about right and wrong. It's not about politics. Like he's done wrong things and the base is going to come out for him probably anyway. And even if these impeachment proceedings reveal that he's done really really bad things it could even hurt him more yeah i completely agree um you know i think that uh you know nancy pelosi is ruling under assumption that that the republicans play by the same rules which they don't um 
if this were as a Democratic candidate, you can absolutely bet that impeachment charges would have already been drawn up. Um, so, you know, I, her thinking's not wrong, but at the same time, it's like, have a little bit of a backbone and just realize that like, you're never going to get Trump's people on his side, but you, you have to get Democrats out. You have to get them engaged. And if you show them that you are going to be a party that holds this president accountable, uh, I think that would excite people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's just about starting the hearings itself. I think anyone can say that there's enough impeachable offenses to start the hearings themselves. And a big benefit of these hearings could be that we uncover information that was previously unknown because we didn't have the legal authority to do so because it wasn't impeachment proceedings. That's actually a really big point that I think a lot of people are missing, that it's not just the fact that like it might not may or may not lead to right. impeachment. It gives Congress the ability to access more documentation from people that previously have been unwilling. To exactly. Uh, I think that's absolutely right. Um, so what should the Dems do? So of the 23 candidates, you've got about eight or nine that are in Congress currently. Um, I, I think it's important if you're running for president, I think it's important to uh, get behind what one message. And most people have favored at least starting the impeachment hearings, which I think is the right call. I think if you are running for president, um, you're going to want impeachment hearings to happen. Uh, I know yeah. Warren and Harris and Booker um, and Bernie have all called to start impeachment hearings. Um, I think if you're not currently in Congress, you have to decide, um, you know, what do you want, you know, what side of, of the issue do you want to be on? Do you want to agree with your colleagues? Do you want to uh, say otherwise? I think it's a dangerous strategy if you're a Democratic president candidate to uh, not be in favor of impeachment. Yeah, I think it's a dangerous strategy. I think it has to be how you, if you're not in favor of impeachment, um, like maybe some of the more conservative Democratic candidates, because you're worried about pissing off the people that you're trying to attract about the, the Obama Trump voters that may or may not come back to you. You have to be very clear on why you don't support it other than a political reason. You have to make yourself very clear. You have to say, oh, it's going to be bad politics. You have to be very, I mean, if you don't want it to happen, if you don't believe it should be happening, say exactly why. People may not agree with you, but they respect exactly you're giving them the straight answer. Right. You have to be very specific and you have to tell them why. Um, I, I, and I also think, I think that taking, I think the uh, tomorrow, the, the, the moderator should ask everyone on that stage, should Donald Trump be impeached? Should Congress bring up the impeachment charges? And impeachment can take a long time. Um, and so it's all about should Congress begin the process? And like you said, Hills, if a candidate says no, like that's fine. Like, just tell me why. Let me know why, because at this point in the, in, the, uh, in the stage of where Democrats are, people are looking for a candidate to support. This is the first time getting a good look at a candidate. And if you don't want impeachment, I myself don't agree with you, but you have to tell me why. I want specific reasons as, as to why. And you may win me over. I may end up siding with you, but you have to be specific. You can't just say it's bad politics. Yeah, and you have to, you have to say to the people that 
that's that's completely correct what you said. And you have to say to the people, I don't believe this because of this. And here's why, if you don't agree with me, here's why you should still support me. Right. Right. Take it two more steps further. Because people are going to make up their minds. And if they want to count you out because you don't support impeachment, that's fine. But um, if you're looking to run for president and you don't support it, you got to give people a reason why they still should support you. Right. Um, and another thing I want to say is because we're talking about Democrats here, a number of House Democrats have started coming out for impeachment hearings. And the most notable one that I'm thinking in my head is uh, she's a freshman from California. Her name is Amy mm-hmm. Porter. She's super, super smart. But she put out this really, really long statement of her detailed views of why she supports beginning impeachment proceedings. And I thought that was a really smart move because um, it clearly explained why she supports it, what her thinking is. And honestly, it puts her position out there. And that's all what people ask for, even if they don't agree with you. If you give them a really long explanation and persuasive argument of why, you do, why you're doing the things you're doing, they may say, okay, I get it. I don't like them, but I get why they're doing it. Right. Um, I mean, you look, at, you look at Warren's rise in the polls. Part of it has to do, a large part, is that she has plans for everything. And, just, and her, her, like her slogan is, I have a plan for that. Right? So if you go on the record and you just say, t- tell people, here's why I support impeachment hearings, or here's why I don't support impeachment hearings, then at least you're putting out a, a plan for, for why or why, why not you uh, would support it. And people appreciate that. People, in, I mean, people want to know what's happening and what, what your thinking is. Um, I, I, we talked about this a little bit, but I think the biggest issue before Nancy Pelosi is you have the House. You obviously want to keep the House in 2020. Her biggest issue is how does she keep the more conservative Democrats who are not for impeachment? How does she appease them, but also appease this new wave of Democratic candidates who came in in 2018 who promised their uh, constituents that we were going to have some oversight on Trump? And some of them even said, we're going to impeach him. So how do you satisfy both sides of the party? And I think um, if you go ahead with impeachment hearings, like I said, it doesn't mean that Trump's going to leave office. It just means that you're trying to get documentation. You're trying to get information. If you go to people and say, we're not saying we're going to throw the president out. We're just saying, let's collect information so we can make a more informed decision. I think people would respect that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny when you were, when you were saying that, I was thinking about how so many things in politics and government it's all about messaging, it's all about <laughs> communication, right? It's all about how you communicate what you're doing and, and how it's going to benefit people. So it's a big thing of you saying we're going to start impeachment proceedings to someone who doesn't know much about impeachment and to the average person in the United States. It may sound like you're trying to get out, Trump out of office, which is not completely right. wrong. But if you, if you have everyone out there saying the same exact message that we're starting impeachment proceedings because we want to collect documentation to make a judgment call on if the law was broken, right? Right. And you just keep re- repeating that, like this is an information collecting um, exercise. It does not mean that we are voting to remove Trump yet. We want to do this because we want this information and the American public deserves this information. And you just had every congressman who goes on, senator who goes on news networks, everyone say the same thing. I bet you a lot of public would be like, they would support impeachment proceeding. Right. Because they would be like, wow, 
there's been a lot of stuff here and I agree there's a lot of things going on we should I should have information like I think that's a lot that's a much easier task to say than than when the average Joe thinks about impeachment proceedings they think about right they think like this is they think they don't know what it means they just think it's like the paperwork to get to impeachment which it is but it's also like if you honestly just want to satisfy both ends of your party be just very clear about what it is right now and if it doesn't go anywhere it doesn't go anywhere but goes somewhere at least you started this right i mean you think about the bob Mueller thing bob Mueller throughout his whole time um he had pretty high approval ratings because people wanted to get the information now of course trump's base didn't like it but that's to be expected they're not going to like anything that ha- puts trump in harm but you had over 60 percent of people who supported bob Mueller. so if you frame it as i mean impeachment is a scary word i think if you phrase it as we want to get information about whether the president whether we have enough evidence to say the president broke the law which you absolutely do then that can be very very favorable to people as well uh it's it's, it's all about yeah. it's all about you right hills it's all about how you frame things how you message something and you know what trump did right in 2016 was he framed things super simply yep. because he's a simple person <laughs> right he couldn't he doesn't know how to frame things out <laughs> simple so simple but honestly if you have democrats go on go on news networks when they start impeachment proceedings and they frame it as something that the average person can relate to. I don't know what the answer is on that, but they, they make it very easy to understand and relatable. People will be like, oh, I kind of get it. This happened to me. I understand what they're doing. Right. Like Trump's build the wall was so simple and it was so clear what he was wanting to do. And people understood what that right. meant. So just make it super simple. Make it like seven words or less about what you're doing and and don't use don't use like honestly it sounds bad but like use very simple words yeah because people remember that and um where where hearings are just for information like if you were investigating who set your house on fire or something i don't know uh it's probably not the right analogy but (laughs) i mean it could be as simple as right right it's you know if if we're going to stick with that beautiful analogy that hills just used um, if, you know, if someone says, if you're trying to figure out who set your house on fire, use the word arson, like people may not know what that word is. And instead, if you simplify it as say, we just want to go into your house so we can see if we can find clues as to who set it on fire, no one's going to be against that. But if you bring in, you know, like we're going to bring in the FBI, we're going to bring in the government and blah, blah, blah. Like people may not be too comfortable with that. So just simplify the, the bottom line. If you ignore all these terrible analogies is simplify your message, tell people what you're going to do and then just do them again. Why aren't we running? <laughs> it's a great question. Um, well, let's wrap up our entree by talking, unfortunately about why it's not going to happen. Why won't impeachment actually happen? And the reason it won't happen is two words, Mitch McConnell. I, yeah, Mitch McConnell. That's a, a two pretty, pretty heavy words. <laughs> you know, I think, let's say in this dream scenario that they start impeachment hearings and as they would, would definitely happen, they realize, oh yeah, Trump's done a bunch of horrible stuff and has admitted, and has admitted on television twice that he broke the law. So they go through the impeachment and it starts in the House, right? They say, we're going to 
impeached to get Donald Trump out of office. Starts in the House. I think between all the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi is a good leader. If she goes through with this, she'll have everyone, she'll have all of her ducks in a row. I think you would even get some Republicans like Justin Amash. Uh, you would be able to get a few people who would agree with you and, and suddenly it passes through the House. But you need 66 senators in the Senate to agree with you. And the Senate is controlled by a turtle named Mitch. And Mitch McConnell will... Very a very evil turtle. turtle. Mitch McConnell in no way will let this happen. And I think that's part of the reason people don't want to do it because people say, well, what's the point, right? Um, even if the House votes to impeach him, the Senate will never, and therefore, you know, Trump will just say, oh, no impeachment, blah, blah, blah. And it's true. It won't yeah. happen, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try. Imagine how many things would never happen and said, what's the point, right? Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen? And you're right, Mitch McConnell's going to block this thing like he did with the Supreme Court justice and everything else. But um, I think Mitch McConnell's part of this equation. I also think that the Republican Party as a whole, they want to get reelected again. And they know their reelection runs through Trump. So until they grow a set of cojones and, and really separate their, their political future from Trump, in a way that they don't care and they want to put party, they want to put, I'm sorry, put country over party and not party over country. Um, they're going to be beholden. I mean, at this point, I'm sure there's so many House Republicans who hate Trump. I just think they probably hate him. They probably don't like the things that he's doing. And they, they stay silent because they want to win again and they don't care. Right. Honestly, if enough Republicans came out against Trump, we wouldn't have these issues. Yeah. And who knows whether they're going to be reelected. But I know... That if someone on the Democratic side was just as bad as Trump, and I was uncomfortable about it, I would be saying something. Yeah. I would be saying, like, hey, this isn't... I may agree with some of his policies as a conservative or whatever, but, like, I'm not comfortable with them doing this. Like, I'm not, I'm not for it. I mean, we haven't had this situation in quite some time. There have been presidents who've done bad things and stupid things before. And, you know, Obama has done some things that didn't work out. But there's been no one at this certain level of disregard um, in quite some time. So we're, we're really seeing where the moral compass of the Republican Party is. And it's, it's pretty not. Yeah. And my last two points I'd say is one is, and Positive America had mentioned this, but put these Republican senators on record for voting yes or for voting no for the impeachment. And you got some people who are in very vulnerable spots. I will talk about a little later in, in, in the dessert in North Carolina, Arizona. Um, you've got uh, Colorado. You've got Alabama, maybe. You've got Texas, maybe. Like put these people in a position where they have to say, no, Trump should not be impeached and vote no. And then if you're that, 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 that candidate and you're in a toss-up or it's very, very close, use that. Say so-and-so does not agree, doesn't think that Trump should be impeached or blah, blah, blah. Like, like that could be a very useful piece of, of campaigning. And the other thing I'll say is for the argument of, well, what's the point? Because it won't happen anyways. Um, we used to, at least Hills, you and I used to, rail against Republicans who said, when talking about gun reform who said what's the point bad guys are going to get guns anyways and so if you say what's the point and, and you should just do nothing that's not a solution 
you have to at least try. And we used to rail against the gun control people who said, well, we shouldn't pass any kind of gun reform because bad guys will will get guns. And it's like, well, that's not good enough. Just saying it, it, it doesn't matter is not good enough. You should demand more from your government. I think those are really good words to leave. Yeah. Let's uh, get into our dessert then. Okay, welcome to your uh, dessert. Hope you're not. Hope you uh, left the room after the entree for a little dessert. Uh, we have two desserts because one dessert is never enough, and dessert has two S's, so we got two parts to it. Um, we'll start with the Women's World Cup. Uh, Hills, have you been watching the World Cup at all? Uh, I've watched a couple of matches, but I know you've been watching much more than I have. I've been watching a lot of World Cup, and Team USA is doing very, very well. Uh, they finished top of their group. They beat Thailand 13-0. to zero. They beat uh, Chile 4-0. to zero. They beat uh, Sweden 2-0. to zero. And they play a Spain team that is probably not as good as the Sweden team that we beat 2-0. Um, on Monday at 11.30. The big test for Team USA, though, will come if they win, and assuming France wins their game later today, they'll come up against France in the quarterfinals. And that will that game will happen again when I'm in stupid Norway, so that sucks. But um, that will be a huge test because France is arguably up there with Germany. France is uh, one of the better teams in this World Cup, so it'll be a big test for them if they can get past Spain, assuming France beats Brazil. So go, go, USA. Yeah, they, I mean, 13-0 in a, in a World Cup stage. I mean, I know Thailand is not known for its professional women's soccer, but still, if you make it up to the, the World Cup stage and you lose 13-0, <laughs> boy, that's not very good. It's the biggest margin of uh, victory ever in a World Cup. And I'll put it in, I'll put it like this. The 13-0 game that the U.S. Um, beat Thailand by, in that game, they scored more goals than the men's team scored in all the 2008 World Cup, all the 2004 World Cup, all the 2012 World Cup, or sorry, sorry 2014, 2010, and 2006. Um the U.S. women's team scored more goals in that game than those three World Cups combined on the men's the side. So much better than the men. They're so much better. Equally, and they yeah. have the right amount of coverage as the men's World Cup. Um, but yeah. they are supremely uh, better than the men. And we here on Three Course Politics support uh, the women's World Cup uh, team, and we support that the women should get paid more than the men until the men can show that they are capable of making it out of their group or even qualifying for the World Cup, which they failed to do in 2018. So, At minimum, uh, equal or yeah. equivalent, uh, but not less. Certainly, certainly not, not less. Um, and part two is talking very, very briefly about the Senate um, in 2020. Uh, Hill, did you hear the good news that Roy Moore has announced his candidacy for a senator in Alabama. Yeah, I think it's good news. I'm hoping it is not bad news. <laughs> well, I think it's good news in the sense that um, Doug Jones is, is going to be in a fight for his life uh, in Alabama. Uh, very, very red. The only reason Doug Jones won before is because Roy Moore was the competition. Um, 
Now, I think if Roy Moore runs again and is the GOP nominee, I think Doug Jones has a good shot at staying in Alabama for another eight years. Or is it six years? Six six years. Um, And so I would like Roy Moore to be the GOP nominee solely because uh, it gives Doug Jones a better chance of winning. It seems, though, that the GOP have a backbone, and Mitch McConnell said he's going to do everything in his power to – see that Roy Moore is not the nominee. Roy Moore was leading in the polls. It's an odd thing. Like Roy Moore is a terrible person and a despicable human being and should be in jail because he's a pedophile. Um, But at the same time, I would like him to be the GOP nominee because I want Doug Jones to keep his spot. So that's something to look look forward to. Remember when Jeff Sessions uh, was attorney general? Um, and supported Trump because he wanted to be attorney general, and then <laughs> his seat went to a Democrat because everyone hated Trump. <laughs> Jeff Sessions is now no longer attorney general. Yeah, funny how things work. It is, and actually, on this uh, this morning, it's a quick side note. This morning, in his interview with Chuck Todd, uh, Chuck Todd said uh, Trump's interview, not Jeff Sessions. Uh, in Trump's interview with uh, Chuck Todd, Chuck Todd said, "What part of your?" candidacy would you change if you were to go back and he <laughs> he said jeff sessions <laughs> he said that he would not include jeff sessions again and this goes to show that trump his only mistake was high was hiring jeff sessions and i would argue that jeff sessions only yeah jeff sessions was not his biggest mistake um but also there was a new poll that came out in north carolina um tom tillis uh, he was he's the he's the Republican senator in North Carolina. He was in a very, very close race with the person who I think I, I don't know his name, uh, but the person who, who was is supposed to be the uh, Democratic nominee. Um, he was I think Tom Tilt was only ahead by one point. And there were other candidates in North Carolina who weren't likely to run who Tom Tillis was actually behind. Uh, so he is a spot that Democrats could potentially pick up in 2020. Yeah, those, that's good news. I mean, um, all those seats are, are potential pickups. And although the Senate's much harder for Democrats, if, if there's a good a good wave of momentum against Trump, um, we can take back the Senate by one or two votes. Yeah. And uh, uh, which would be huge. And the map to the Senate runs through Colorado, Arizona, and New York, North Carolina. Um, 20, unfortunately, 2016 was the time we should have taken back the Senate. We had a lot of good races going on, but it didn't work out. Um, I, I know this doesn't quite belong in the dessert, but um, I just want to point out that, I mean, Chuck Todd is being called names by the president. I'd say it's like sloopy Chuck Todd. But then again, he interviews him and has a, you know, it's all about making music. Oh, absolutely. Um, um, I don't know. I wouldn't have the president of my show if you called me. No. Name. Uh, why? I mean, uh, uh, it's what? You it's don't, you don't give in to a bully like that. It's but that's one word, Hills. It's ratings, and Chuck Todd cares deeply about how Meet the Press is on and the ratings for Meet the Press. And if if you have an interview with the president, you're going to take it. Uh, it's not, not 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 the way it yeah, should be. But I, I mean, so. that's that that's why he did it. It's because of ratings. Um, yeah. And y- you mentioned Arizona and Colorado, both both very very tight races. Um, in that, so we'll see what happens, but. Dem's chances to take the take the set. It's going to be a fight, but it's not as bad as 2018. Yeah, I think I think in all the right circumstances, we can do it. And taking the Senate would be huge for everybody. Huge, huge. 
Um, all right, we have um, the answer to your, your quiz uh, coming up. So you've been patiently waiting, and here is the answer. So when was the first televised primary debate? All the research I've done points to the Democratic primaries of 1968. Um, so those were the first televised primary debates. It wasn't a primary in 64, um, and they weren't televised earlier than that. So that is the answer that we're going to go with. Okay. And for those extra credit, so this is kind of a double answer. The real answer to this question is the first televised presidential debate happened in 1950. Really? You may be thinking, wait, that's not what I learned in school. Well, it's kind of, I'm saying partially because in 1956, um, it was Eisenhower and Adlai Stevenson running for president. And both of them had surrogates do a debate, a televised debate about who should be president. Huh. Uh, and one of those surrogates was Eleanor Roosevelt. Really? Yeah, yeah, she was the 1956 debate surrogate for Adlai Stevenson who lost. However, if you're really thinking about like when they, the first one with the real candidates on stage was in 1960, like you remembered in school, and it was with JFK and um, and Richard Nixon. Yep. Um, and it led to JFK's popularity because he performed really well in a televised debate. So something now you know, you know, a couple of new facts today uh, from the show. There you go. Wow, look at that. That's very interesting that Eleanor Roosevelt was um, one of the uh, surrogates. Yeah, Eleanor was really uh, active even way after FDR's death in 1945. So yeah, um, wow, learn something every day. Look at that, just filling people with, with knowledge. That's what we, what we like to do here on Three Course Politics. Fill you with knowledge. <laughs> Fill you with knowledge. Um, well, that's all for the show today. Thank you so much. Um, we hope you enjoyed the debates, and we'll be back um, in a few weeks and um, can recap the debate for you and a bunch of other good things. Yeah. Uh, thanks, everyone, and uh, wish me safe travels in Norway. Safe travels in Norway. I hope um, <laughs> I hope you stay there because everything's probably better, <laughs> but not because not because I want you to go, but because it's probably a safer. It would be harder to do our podcast if I stayed in Norway. So, it would be. all right. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody.